God. And tonight we're continuing in a series that we've been doing through Advent that culminates tonight called Signs of a Savior. And I want to begin by just reflecting on some of the rituals that we're going through this week, tonight, tomorrow. We decorate, don't we? We decorate to signify the joy of the season. That's a ritual. We buy presents. That's another ritual. To express love, to demonstrate that we care and that we're willing to make sacrifices of thought and time and expense for one another. We stuff stockings. I think just to save wrapping paper. (laughs) My family bakes stolen German Christmas bread. My house smells like heaven. Wait, let's be honest. Amanda and Gail bake stolen. The rest of us eat the stolen. That's a ritual, a tradition. We all uh, have these traditions and rituals around Christmas. And what we do says something about who we are. And this is where we enter into the birth narrative tonight. If you want to follow along in your blue Bible, we're on page 857. If you brought your Bible, we're in Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 21. It's hard to see. I've got a light up here. You can just fake like you're reading along in your Bible. No one will know. So we had to send Balfour out to read the gospel. He's the only one that's got eyes good enough to read in this light. (laughs) Shortly after his birth, Jesus participated in two Jewish legal rituals, circumcision and dedication. And Luke is emphasizing how from birth, Jesus observed the law. He was born under the law and perfectly obeyed the law in order to redeem us from the law. And it starts when he's just eight days old. And these two rituals are signs that point to who Jesus is and what he came to do on our behalf. The first was a ceremony of circumcision. If you look at verse 21, eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Our Lord according to Jewish tradition, was circumcised when he was eight days old. And that Jewish ceremony of circumcision placed the sign of the covenant upon Jesus. It indicated that he belonged to God and marked him as an heir of all of God's promises to Israel. And that was necessary for him to fulfill all the requirements of the law. It also enabled him to take his rightful place in any Jewish assembly and to be heard as a teacher in that assembly and ultimately allowed him to be recognized as the legitimate son of David and the promised seed of Abraham. And at his circumcision... The Lord was given his name. It was the name the angel gave him before he was conceived, the name Jesus in Hebrew, Yeshua, which means salvation. 
His name is salvation because he will save his people from their sins. I love how Luke is a historian, one who is committed to the facts of the story. I love how he includes Jesus' circumcision to point to something beyond it, to point to something greater, to point to his role as the Messiah to bring about the new covenant. And how in the new covenant, circumcision will be done by God, not human hands. And it will be done on the heart. It will indicate new birth, which signifies that we belong to God and marks us as heirs of all of God's promises, past, present, and future. Circumcision of the heart will be a sign that all the requirements of the law have been fulfilled by Christ on our behalf, which enables us to take our rightful place in the family of God, restored to community with God and one another, oneness in Christ. Paul himself circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee clarifies what Jesus comes to do in his letter to the church in Rome. Chapter 2, you are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. The promise of God that he would take out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh and write the law on our heart and thereby in Christ give us the ability to fully fulfill what God requires of us. Circumcision of the heart is the work of the Spirit who cuts away the sins of our heart and discards them through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross which makes us new creations. So in Christ, all that was lost by sin is redeemed. All that has been promised by God becomes ours. And we're restored to God's original intention and design and purpose for us from the beginning. I'm so glad that Luke includes Jesus' circumcision and what it points to, what that means for us tonight, because our hearts get set on so many lesser things. There are so many stories that compete for the allegiance of our heart. So many lesser gods of this world that do not satisfy but pretend to do so, that seek our hearts. And yet Christ is the one that rules our heart. He's the one that has transformed our heart. And the one in whom our heart rests here and now and forever. Well, there was another ritual that Jesus went through, the ceremony of dedication. In verses 22 and 23, it was time 
for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So 32 days later, 40 days after his birth, Jesus was formally presented, dedicated in the temple. In accordance with the law of Moses, he was dedicated to the Lord in a ceremony called Pinyon Chabin. Pinyon Chabin. Meaning the redemption of the firstborn son. And in this traditional ceremony, the father brings the child to the priest and responds to a series of ritual questions indicating that this is the mother's firstborn son and that he has come to redeem him as commanded in the Torah. And the father recites two blessings. The first is the Pidyon Chaben, blessing. Blessed art thou, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with thy commandments and commanded us about the ransom of the firstborn son. And then the father recites the Shehek A'anu blessing. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has kept us alive, sustained us, and brought us to this season. And so we see here Jesus born under the law, perfectly obeying the law, fulfilling the law of Moses, which is important to his messianic ministry. Why? Because Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to perfect it, to complete it, to fulfill it. Jesus created it. It points to him and our need for him. And he comes to set us free from it. Paul clarifies in his letter to the churches in Galatia, saying, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer slaves, but God's children. And since you are his children, God has made you also his heirs. And so in the new covenant, relationship with God goes from faith through ritual and tradition to faith and relationship from the heart. God sets us free from our inability to fulfill the requirements of the law by adopting us as dearly loved sons and daughters in Christ. Redeeming us from all the requirements of the law, paying the sacrificial price for us himself leaving us not with a list of duties and rituals and sacrifices, but graciously giving us an inheritance of forgiveness, freedom, and joy that leads to praise. 
circumcision, dedication. And it's here in the temple that Jesus is again, for the second time, recognized as the Messiah. In addition to the shepherds, God chooses two more people, a man and a woman, to testify that this child is the Christ child, the God-man, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And from these two witnesses, Malachi's prophecy is fulfilled. Malachi 3.1, look, I am going to send my messenger who will prepare the way for me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you look for so eagerly, is coming, says the Lord Almighty. Jesus, the messenger of the new covenant, suddenly shows up in the temple. 32 days old. The significance hopefully isn't lost. From the tabernacle to the temple, it is where the presence of God dwelt among his people. And for the first time in 400 years, God's presence enters his temple again. The Shekinah glory of God, not in a cloud or a pillar of fire, not hovering over a box, but in a person. The Christ child is brought into the temple of God amidst the people of God once again. Simeon and Anna were waiting for him. They've been waiting for him for a long time. Look at Simeon, verses 25 through 27. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. Simon had dedicated his entire life waiting for the consolation of Israel. Context. Israel. Throughout their history, the people of Israel had suffered greatly, both by their own sin and because of the oppression and sin of others. Their land was frequently overrun by foreign powers. They suffered under slavery in Egypt. They continually rebelled against God, breaking his covenants and worshiping false idols, and eventually endured the hardship of exile. And then for 400 years, God had remained silent. I can't stand more than an hour of silence. In short, they were a people in desperate need of consolation and comfort, the kind that could come only when the Messiah arrived. He would forgive their sin and restore them to a right relationship with God. As promised through the prophet Isaiah, Messiah would proclaim good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. 
He would comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve. He would bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. This was the hope of Messiah. And Simon believed Israel could find consolation, could find this hope only at his coming. And so he longed and he eagerly awaited and prayed for this day, for this moment. When Joseph and Mary brought the child Jesus into the temple, Simeon immediately recognized him. And he took him in his arms and he praised God. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel, when Simon embraces God's Messiah, he breaks out into song. This doesn't just happen in Disney movies. This happens all throughout the Bible. And the song is called the Nuke Dimittis, taken from the Latin, Now You Dismiss. It's Simeon's confession of faith. Jesus is God's salvation. All the promises of God are fulfilled in this one child, are available through faith in this one person who is the source of peace with God for anyone and everyone, no matter tribe, tongue, or nation, who believes. Simeon's confession of faith is that Jesus is the light to reveal God to all people, That he's the Messiah, not only for the Jews, but for all people in every place throughout all time. He's the ultimate truth, the way to God, and in him is the fullness of life we were created to enjoy. He is God's salvation. He is the light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of Israel. He is the word who became flesh and tabernacled among us. The glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And as soon as he sets his eyes on Jesus, Simeon knows that he's the Messiah and therefore he's ready to die in peace. Only when we've seen the Messiah and received Jesus for who he is will we be ready to meet our Creator. There's only one way to stand before God unafraid, and that is by the peace of Christ. That's Simeon's testimony. Anna also testified that Jesus is the Messiah. She spoke of the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna, a prophet, very old, a widow, never left the temple but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment. Seeing Jesus, she gives thanks to God and spoke 
about this child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Anna loved God. She loved God's house. And she constantly looked and waited for Messiah to come. And one day he shows up and the Spirit moves Anna and instantly she recognizes him and begins praising God. And then she speaks about the one who had come. God didn't send a soldier or a judge. God didn't send a scientist or a reformer. God didn't send an educator or a philanthropist. The good news was that God sent a redeemer. A redeemer. The Apostle Paul clarifies in Ephesians, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Redemption. That's really good news. We're redeemed. That means God doesn't reject us. God doesn't discard us. God doesn't go try something else. God doesn't tell us to try harder or look better or be smarter. God comes and in love redeems us. He repairs our brokenness. He mends our hurts. He realigns us with him and restores us to his original purpose for us to be known and loved by God and to know and love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And we are new creations in Christ Jesus. And I know we've skipped 40 days ahead in the birth narrative. But it's my conviction that as it was for Simeon and Anna, so it is for us tonight. That God prepares us to receive Christ by stirring up a longing in our hearts for consolation and redemption that only Christ can satisfy. And so that means tonight there is hope in our sorrow. There is hope in our brokenness. There is hope in our relational disrepair. There's hope in our hurts. Tonight there is hope for us, so don't give up. Don't cease to long for that hope. Because the Father has a tender affection for our weakness. He loves us with an inseparable love. In Christ, he forgives our sins and removes them as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more. Through Christ, he purifies us from all the effects of sin and clothes us in his righteousness. Through Christ, he makes us worthy to stand before him, holy and blameless in his sight. Through Christ, the Father delights in us. 
He is well pleased with us. And as it was in the beginning in Christ, he declares that we are very good. And all God asks of us is to hold out hope, to humble ourselves, to open our hearts and believe. Even if it's really small, to trust that Jesus is who he says he is and will do in our lives what God promises he will do. If there's any deep longing in your heart tonight for a consolation and a comfort that this world has not been able to satisfy, it's because God is preparing you to recognize for the first time again in a deeper way to recognize and receive the gift of consolation and redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's the hope of the world. That's our hope. And I want to invite you to that hope tonight. It's not under your tree. It's not in your stocking. It's not in your fridge or your pantry or cabinet. Your hope is a person, and he's found right here in the bread and the wine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask in your mercy that you would open the eyes of our heart to behold the glory of Christ tonight, the consolation of our past, the redemption of our present, and the hope of our future. Lord Jesus, as we come to the table, be known to us in the breaking of bread. Forgive our sin. Lavish reconciliation upon us. Heal us and make us whole. Holy Spirit, come. Fill our hearts with faith and hope and love. And give us overflowing joy that we might worship you this holy night with gladness and singleness of heart. To you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be all honor and glory now and forever. Amen.